0: Prioritize that to be linking in, engaging, and building connection and building community. We then talked about growing up, and that's a big need for us to grow up. And so we talked about having a grow up plan. And then it's also important that we step up and we shape up. And so today I'm going to be talking about that together. I'm going to combine two thoughts into one today. It'll be a bit messy. Um, Who's okay with messy? It's going to be a bit messy because I'm trying to combine because next week I've got to be really quick. And so we're going to do step up and shape up together today. Here's our launch verse where we launch from in Luke chapter 69 verse 62 from the Message Bible, uh, which says this. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, after he'd given them an invitation to follow him, and uh, they thought well that's a good deal we want to follow you Jesus we want to be a part of your team we want to be followers and disciples and then they begin to give excuses as to uh, why they couldn't follow right now and why they couldn't do what Jesus asked them to do and Jesus says this no procrastination no procrastination no backward looks you can't put God's kingdom off until tomorrow everyone say the last three words out loud for me Seize the day. Seize the day. In the NIV translation, it's worded this way. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is all about being fit for service. We're trying to get you fit. We're trying to get fit together as a family and be fit and ready and willing and able to do what God has called us to. To do. I love what Jesus does here because a lot of people have this imagery of Jesus. That Jesus is this meek, mild little uh, image, and, and the, the picture they have of Jesus is he's meek and mild, and you know, just the nicest and most wonderful and gracious. And he is all of those things. He's absolutely all of those things. But the balance of that is, if Jesus needs to talk to you, He's going to come and sit down and talk to you. Who needs a talking to today? He does that, and uh, very much through the the person of the Holy Spirit, He does that. He said, when He sent the Holy Spirit, "I'm sending another just like me." And the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's our counselor. He's our helper. And every now and then the Holy Spirit is like, he's just like those drug sniffer dogs at the airport. I don't know whether you've ever had an experience with a drug sniffer dog at an airport. I don't know whether one's ever sat down next to you. Um, one has never sat down next to me, but they walk past and they sniff. And then you, they, they find someone that needs help. They just sit down beside them. And the funny thing is most people who have the dog sit down next to them are oblivious to what that even means. Some of them just have no idea uh, what that means. They don't realize they've just been caught. And they need help. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus works like this. He comes and sits down with us and he wants to talk to us sometimes. And sometimes he kind of gets in our face a little bit because he wants to challenge this thought of complacency or procrastination or looking back. And he says, if you're gonna follow me, follow me now. Everyone say now, now. In other words, Jesus is saying it's time now. It's not time in 10 minutes time. Uh, It's not time in an hour. It's not time tomorrow. It's today, not tomorrow. It's not next week, it's right now, uh, is what Jesus is saying. Uh, I love the fact that Jesus lived with a real sense of urgency for time, for his time, but also the followers that would choose to follow him. And what he's doing is he's calling his followers, his would be, his wannabe followers, he's calling them up to a higher level, a higher level than they realized. A higher level than they even wanted to sign up for or agree for. Jesus was calling them to higher. And I I feel like God is calling us to higher, higher levels. And for some of us, it's higher levels than we thought we signed up for. Can I tell you what you signed up for when you put your hand up, opened your heart, and you asked Jesus to come into your life and forgive you your sins? You signed up for a laying down of your life daily you signed up to a taking up your cross and following Jesus lifestyle is what you signed up for. Um, it's not like when you go to the Lions Club and you fill out a membership form for a dollar and you get a card and that's it. And there's, a, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's no cost to being saved and having your sins forgiven. But to be a follower of Jesus and to be a disciple, there's a cost involved with That. And so we've been talking uh, about this in very practical ways uh, in our church over the last few weeks for the start of this year. What Jesus is doing is he's teaching his disciples uh, who were posturing themselves. Uh, there, There was a moment when his disciples were posturing themselves about greatness about who was the greatest or who could be or would be the greatest among them. And Jesus teaches them this, that greatness is not found in a title, it's found with a towel. Not with a title, but with a towel. In other words, it's not about your title, it's about your heart and it's about your service for and in the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches them that greatness comes from having a heart to serve. This is what he says in Luke 22. He says, Among you, speaking to the disciples, those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank, and the leader should become like a servant. Normally, The master sits at the table and is served by his servants, but not here, he says, for I am your servant. And so Jesus, who was was and is the greatest of all, he says, I came to take that lowly position to be one that would serve everybody. And my expectation, if you follow me, I expect you to copy me. I expect you to emulate me. I expect you to look at my example and work it out. I expect you to serve others. Others before you serve yourself. And, church, I want to say that I really believe that completeness in life, like living like a complete follower of Christ, is found in having a heart to serve other people. It's found in having a heart to serve other people. It's found by living committed to that value, that principle in the kingdom of God. That we find it in laying our life down for others. Jesus said of himself, he said, for I, the son of man, I came not to be served, but I came to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. I want to say a huge thank you to every volunteer in our church today. Everyone that serves in any capacity, why don't you give a big hand today? Any volunteer leader, uh, any paid staff member, because they're also volunteers, uh, that, that, that really serve in the house of God to make church work. Church wouldn't work if it wasn't for you. And church doesn't work without you. Because we are here to serve, to make it work, to build the local church, to extend the kingdom of God. And it's a calling and a responsibility on every one of us about serving and leading with a heart to serve. Not just doing the act. Doing the act is different to having a heart to serve. And this is the point that I want to highlight today, that we really need to develop a heart to serve, not just being on a roster, doing a job, and going through the act. There's a man in the Old Testament. He's one of my faves. Do you have faves? I have favorites when I read the Bible. I look at them, I look at their story, and if they pop to me and I relate to it, they kind of become like a favorite. This one is one of my all-time favorites in the entire Bible in terms of what he teaches us about having a heart to serve, about having a heart to serve, and about what it is like to serve in the house of God in the church. It goes all the way back in the Old Testament to the story of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for those that don't know the story of the Ark of the Covenant, um, I'm sure you've seen Indiana Jones. <laughs> Who's seen Indiana Jones? Well, in his pursuit of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this gold overlaid box. And in this box were the two stone tablets that the law had been written on that was given by God to Moses. Moses recorded it. That was in the box. Then there was Aaron, the high priest, his rod, his staff, that buttered in a supernatural way, this dead stick. It buttered overnight when God helped him select some leaders. And that was also in the box because that was special to the Israelites. And then there was a bowl of manna, the the bread that they were fed as they wandered the wilderness and came out of Egypt. That was also in the box. And then on the lid of the box, the lid was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat had two gold cherubim uh, angels on top with their wings stretched out like this. Good pose. And they would just touch each other. And uh, that two angels, the two cherubim, represented the place where God would meet And speak with Moses when Moses came into the tabernacle to be in the presence of God. And so it represented the place of power. It represented the place of blessing and favor. It represented the place of the presence of God. It wasn't just an ordinary box. It was something very supernatural and special about the Ark of the Covenant. Now this Ark was lost in battle. The Philistines stole it when they were in battle against the Israelites. Because they thought it would be really cool to have this gold box with fancy angels on top of it. But they didn't know what the box was all about. They didn't know what the box represented. They didn't know the presence that was on that box. The power uh, of this ark. And so they stole it. And they took it to one of their towns. And they put it next to their temple. And next to their god. And they had a God that was called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. And he was a fish God. So it's this big statue of a fish that they would come and worship. And they put the God of the Israelites, the gold box, the seat of mercy, right next to Dagon. Bad move. Next day when they woke up and they came out to worship Dagon, Dagon was slightly damaged Dagon had fallen down before the ark of the covenant and they all wondered how did this happen what happened to the foundations? He's just face down. And so they erected him again. They got him upright again. They went to bed that night. Next night they come out after the night. And in the morning they walk out again. They come to worship. What do they find? Dagon has not only uh, fallen down. Uh, he's got no, no, no limbs. He's just a torso because he had arms and everything. He's now just a torso just laying there demolished before the Ark of the Covenant. And they're all going like, wow, wow can't believe what's happened here and they couldn't understand what this supernatural thing that had taken place and then they had other mystical things that happened, they had people getting tumours everywhere, not just one or two but lots and lots of people developing tumours, lots of people mysteriously passing away and they put it down to the fact that they had captured the Ark of the Covenant, the God of the Israelites and they needed to return him and so they write a letter kind of send an email, you know, all day email. They write a letter, an email uh, to the Israelites and say, you can have your God back. Um, He's dangerous. We don't want him here. And so they take the God of the Israelites who's in a box, and they return him. And this is what the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel. It says, so they sent messages to the people at Carath jeramin and told them, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Please come here and get it. <laughs> they didn't want it anymore. Please come here and get it. And the sad thing was, And this is, as you read the story, you see these little gap moments, and you've got to stop, and you've got to think about this. The Bible says that for 20 years, the Israelites left the ark at Abinadab's home. It named a man, and it's at his home. And they left it there for 20 years unattended. For 20 years, they neglected the ark of the covenant. And then after 20 years, it says this, they felt like God had abandoned them. Like, duh. Anything that you neglect for 20 years, you're going to feel disconnected from. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel. People do that in church all the time. They say, well, I feel disconnected. Well, you haven't been here for quite some time. You haven't been in Connect Group for quite some time. You haven't been around family for quite some time. Time, it's no surprise you're disconnected. So, the principle is what we neglect, we feel neglected by. What we abandon, we feel abandoned by. What we disconnect from, we feel disconnected from. Our feeling is often due to our action. Our feeling is often due to our behavior. Our feeling is often due to our attitude. And so whenever we neglect God, we will feel as if God has abandoned us. Whenever we neglect people, we will feel like people have abandoned us. We will feel disconnected and rather than feel like stepping up, we will feel like stepping out because we don't step up. And so what we need to do is step up. Everyone say step up. Step Step up. up. You got to step up to shape up. If you don't shape up, you're not going to step up. That doesn't make sense. You've got to step up to shape up, to shape up to be everything that God wants us to be. And so the Ark of the Covenant is now left at another man's home. They take it to a man's home called Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, he is an Israelite. And he understands what this box is. He understands the presence of it. He understands the value and the power of it. You see, when you understand the presence and the power of whose kingdom you belong to and what the church is all about and what your God follower friends are all about, then you hold it with a weight in your life that gives value to it in your world. And this is what Obed-Edom did. Obed-Edom had the house, his house, filled with the presence of God for three months. He literally had God in a box in his home. Talk about Google box, this was God box. He had God in a box in a sense, that meeting place, that special place that was so revered, living in his home for three months. And I want to show you what happened uh, by having him uh, living in his home. It says, the ark of God remained there with the family of Obed-Edom for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Everything, everyone was blessed. Everything, everyone was blessed. No one was neglected. No one was abandoned. No one had feelings of that. There was such a blessing in having the presence and the power of God around his home. Everyone enjoyed the blessing. The crops were abundant. The the cattle, whatever he had, they were were abundant. There was blessing on every aspect of Obed-Edom's life. You could say Obed-Edom's life. Life was going really well because of the blessing and the favor of God. Can I say this to every family, every couple, um, every yet-to-be couple, every single person, um, every... Um, other person, every person in the house, everyone I can think, I'm trying to get everyone in this equation, that God and his presence will always bring great blessing into your family and oftentimes blessing that you don't even notice and blessing that you're not even aware of because blessing sometimes comes disguised blessing comes in areas where we're not even looking or not even noticing and there is great blessing in having the person and the presence and the power of God living in your heart and being in your home and belonging to the church of God there is and it's only when we neglect it that we fail to see it when we abandon it that we fail to understand it when we fail to connect with it that we fail to build community from it his presence his power living in our hearts And in our home. So as God followers, one of the things we really need to do with a sense of urgency is make sure we always bring ourselves back to that point of, I just want to be in your house, Lord. I just want to have you in my house, Lord. I just want to be around your presence. Uh, We used to sing a song in church 300 years ago that was called, I just want to be where you are in your dwelling place forever. I just want to be where you are. In your dwelling place. If you ask me why I come to church, I just want to be where you are. I want to be in your dwelling place forever. To have the heart that David had. I want to belong in the house of God. That's where I want to belong. I want to have the value of this to be the most valuable house that I go to and the most valuable house that I belong to. And so Obed Edom. He has the presence of God in his house for three months. And then there comes a day where. David comes knocking on his door, king of Israel, because he wants God back. He's decided he wants God back. He's probably heard how blessed Obed-Edom is and how wonderful it is in Obed-Edom's house. And he wants everyone in Israel to experience that again. So he wants to bring the presence of God back, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, back to where it belongs, to Jerusalem. So he sends some men, takes himself, they go along, they take... The Ark of the Covenant, they put it on a cart with some donkeys and they tow the presence of God. Imagine having the presence of God in your trailer. (laughs) How ridiculous, even that thought, that imagery. But that's what's happening here. So they got donkeys hitched up with this trailer on this cart and they're transporting the presence of God. Everything was good, but they didn't know what was coming because they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. They were treating the presence of the Lord with disdain and contempt, not understanding how it should have been transported because there were very specific instructions given for the handling of the presence of the Lord, this Ark of the Covenant. And it didn't include putting him on a donkey cart. And so they put him on a donkey cart and when they hit some rough road, one of the guys that was standing beside the cart to kind of guard it on the journey, um, he reached out his hand because the Ark of the Covenant toppled and God was about to fall over. So he did what any other guy in the room here would do today. He put out his hand and touched the Ark and the Ark touched him and struck him dead. And it's always been a mysterious story to me. I just felt like, ah, it's just so unfair. So unfair that this this volunteer uh, who had come to church to serve on that day, um, you know, like just reached out his hand to to steady God and uh, he, he loses his life over it. So this causes great panic throughout Israel and, and David didn't know what to do. So they, they, they just stopped. They stopped the whole plan of what they were gonna do and uh, in terms of, of taking the presence of God uh, to to Israel. So David Sorry, I'm just finding where I am in my notes. Um, David is now in a pickle. David uh, now is wanting to bring the presence of God again uh, back to Israel. And this time, he's going to do it properly. This time, he's, he's going to do it the way that they had been instructed to travel with the presence of God. And they bring God back to Jerusalem, which causes a real moment for Obed-Edom. It's a real pickle for Obed-Edom now because he had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He'd had God in his house for three months. Everything had been significantly blessed and now God had gone. And what was he going to do? He decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go with David. I'm going to go with the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to go with the presence of the Lord because I just want to be where God is. I just want to be where God is. So David now has to organize things back in the temple. He has to organize worship back in the temple. And he does what we do when we plant a church. See, when we planted a church, we needed some singers. So we appointed some singers. So David thinks... I'm gonna appoint some singers and who does he appoint? 1 Chronicles 15, 18 says the following men were chosen as assistants and talks about the mean singers, Zechariah, Jazeel, Sean, uh, holy people, um, down here all the way to, and the gatekeepers, Obed-Edom and Jiel were appointed. They were appointed as singers, promoted from being a gatekeeper to a singer in the house of God. Why did he sign up to be a singer? Because he'd been wrecked forever. He had been wrecked forever because he tasted and seen that the presence of God is good and he didn't want to let it get away. So he put up his hand and said, I just want to be where God is. And if you need a singer, I will sing. And he, he comes in and says, I, I just wanna I just want to serve David. I just want to be involved. Hello, I'm I'm here. Let me sing. And then they need somebody to be a guard for the presence of the Lord to make sure that nobody else would come and steal the presence of the Lord. So Obed-Edom who was now this amazing singer apparently joins this team of all these other names. It talks about all the priests and it says They were chosen to blow the trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. And Obed-Edom and Jehiah were chosen to guard the ark. So once again, he's a singer. Now he puts his hand up to be a guard of the ark. You know, if you're a singer, that's not your thing. Everyone say your thing. You know, in our church, sometimes in church you have people that it's their thing. And you know it's their thing, because it's the thing they do, and they can't and won't do anything else, because I'm doing, I'm doing my thing. The way it works in serving in the kingdom of God is this. is we have a heart to serve, and we have a heart to serve means I'll do anything. Anything. I get to sing and I love that I get to sing. I get to preach and I love that I get to preach. I get to be a connect group leader and I love that I get to be a connect group leader, but I have a heart to serve. And so Obed-Edom had that. So he said, I'm a singer and now I'm a gatekeeper uh, looking after the, the, the presence of the Lord. But then David needed some musicians. He needed someone to play in the band. Guess who turns up in the band now? Next verse, verse five says, Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals, the drummer, Johnny, drummer's always in charge. Where's Johnny boy? Always in charge. Asaph, he needed to appoint some. So he, he, he said, he said uh, uh, his assistants and Zechariah II, then Jeel and another guy who I can't pronounce, uh, and then a few others, Eliab and Benaniah. And then here's our man again, Obed-Edom. They played the harps and the guitars. This man, Obed-Edom, was everywhere. Everywhere. He was over the top. Over the top. If you asked a question, he wanted to answer it. If you had a roster, he wanted to be on it. Why? Because he was wrecked forever by the presence of God and just wanted to be around wherever God was. He had an undivided heart. To serve the Lord. So, my question is, what does an undivided heart to serve the Lord look like for you? As opposed to doing an act of service. Well, we all do acts of service from time to time, Uh, it's what we do. But what does having a real heart to serve in the kingdom of God and the house of God look like? Here's a few thoughts I have for us today. Firstly, a heart to serve is birthed from a life changing God moment it's birth from a life-changing God moment can I say to every believer and every God follower in the room that life-changing God moments don't happen once and then never happen again we need to be on a continual journey of pursuing the presence of the Lord the presence of God being filled with the Holy Spirit not once but over and over and over and over again Paul said be filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit it's not get filled once and I'm full now and that's it forever uh, because we, 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 we have gaps. We have, we have moments where we just need more. Is there anyone in the room that just feels like they need more of God? Thank you for those two. We need more of God. We all need more of God. We need God often. We need God over and over again. I need him in the morning. I need him in the noonday. I need him in the evening. I need God. It's birth. This heart to serve is birth from having life Changing God moments. For Obed-Edom, this was the one thing that changed everything. It's the one thing that changed everything. For three months, he'd enjoyed the intimacy of having God in his home and he lived with the blessing of that and that encounter changed everything about his life. And from that point in time, there was nothing that he was not prepared to do to be in the presence of God, around the presence of God. And I want to say to every human in the room in that Is everybody to every human in the room this morning? I want to be inclusive today. To every human in the room today, your heart needs encounters with God over. And over and over again So that's why we have dessert At the start of the service That's why we start with dessert Praise and worship is not the preliminary It's the dessert It's the best part Everyone say amen And you're thinking that right now Listen to this sermon It's the best part It's the dessert You get to uh, enjoy those moments of worship And pursuit of God uh, In those moments And then the preaching The presentation. Of God's word together, which is like a second dessert. Thank you, Tracy. A heart to serve is proactive. A heart to serve is proactive. In other words, it looks for opportunities to serve. It looks for opportunities to serve. It sees things that need doing, it just takes care of it. It just gets it done. It's not about having to serve in my special gift. We all have a special gift and uh, I don't want to devalue that at all because there are special gifts on all of us and we should use our special gift but then we have a general gift like it's, it's not really a special gift um, to take the rubbish out it's not a special gift to vacuum the floor I, I've never had anyone say that is my absolute special gift and, and that is the passion of my life but it's got to be done it's got to be done at home. Someone's got to take the rubbish out. Someone's got to mow the lawn. Someone's got to wash the dishes. Someone's got to do these things for family to function. It's the same in church life. But there are special gifts that God gives to every one of us in the body where we find the church, where we, we get to play our part uh, with that special gift, with a sense of uniqueness in the way that we do something. And we want to celebrate that. Celebrate that when people find that and people find that place and find that part and do that thing with a heart to serve God. You see, it's not really about what we do. It's about how we do it. It's not really about what we do. It's about how we do it. How we do it, with a heart of passion, with a heart of joy, with a heart that embraces. I'm here to serve other people, to help other people experience the presence of God and life-changing moments. Uh, Sometimes uh, over the years, people have said things like this to me. Well, the church should do this, and the church should do that. And we should be doing more of this and more of that. And my response is always, go for it. Because you are the church we are the church the church is not me the church is not paid staff the church is all of us collectively so if there's things we think we should be doing then hello somebody everyone say hello somebody hello somebody go and do it when you have a heart to serve you're proactive and you're seeking opportunity to serve God and you show imagination when you just do acts of service, you don't, have, you don't, you don't show initiative. There's no imagination. Um, often you need to be told what to do all the time, over and over again, uh, like an apprentice, which is appropriate when you first start. But there comes a time when those that are kind of supervising or managing or looking after you or directing you, they, they want to see initiative. I love it when I see initiative in people, when people take something and do something with it from their own initiative With the authority that they've been given, so a heart for service sees a need and tries to do something about it to make it better. The third thing is a heart for to serve has ownership. I love it when people have ownership. This is the language. Language is key. Language is always key. Language always gives us away. Um, Language. It's always in the language. And I listen to language, I listen to the language people use, I listen to the way people communicate, what they say, how they say it, words chosen. Language is important. This is our church, this is my church. It's our church, my church. This is our church, it's my church. It's not Tony's church, it's our church. Everyone say our church. My church. Our church my church. We have a sense of responsibility for it. Children normally are not responsible. Children need to be trained to be responsible. Like children will walk past a cup on the bench 20 times and not think to put it in the sink or in the dishwasher or wash it up. Children normally will not go to their room and just tidy it up and make their bed for no reason. Because they haven't yet developed that sense of ownership. When you develop a sense of ownership, when you're taught a sense of ownership, you have a sense of pride. Like when you get your first car, can you remember when you got your first car, if you've you've ever had a car? When you got your first car, that sense of pride, I bet you washed it in the first week. I bet you probably washed it the second day. Because you have a sense of proud ownership of that thing and that's the way we need to be in the kingdom of God a sense of ownership this is our church this is my church so I'm going to find my part and I'm going to play my part as opposed to acts of service when someone has this sense of they're driven by acts of service what happens is they also have a sense of ownership but it's a possessiveness a possessiveness See, the heart for service is all about making it better for everybody. But possessiveness and doing the act of service is about making it better for me. And this is my thing. And this is my area. And this is my territory. And it's easy to become very territorial when you have an acts of service kind of ownership so the way we serve is this is we do what's good and we do what's best for the team we do what's best and what's good for the church we do what's good and best for everybody is the kind of way and motivation that we serve in the house of God because we understand I'm just happy to be able to serve I'm just happy to be in the house of God you see I'm a pastor now but I wasn't always a pastor I didn't start as a pastor I wasn't born a pastor I don't think I ever really wanted to be a pastor uh, when when I understood what a pastor did and what a pastor's journey really was. I started on an overhead projector. Anyone remember an overhead projector? Anyone that old in church life to remember an overhead projector? I was that little snowy-haired kid out the front who couldn't put the song words up straight or even the right way. I'd get them upside down, all sorts. But and and in those days, you sat about ten metres out in front of everyone else. That was your seat. You sat there. You were in charge of the overhead projector. That was my first opportunity. Then after that, I got an opportunity uh, in the youth group to serve on the youth committee. And I did that and I became the treasurer. Uh, And then I became, I think, a youth leader. I became a board member in church. Then I became the treasurer of the church. Uh, I became a singer. I became a worship leader. I bought a guitar and I learned three chords and I sat with the band and strummed. Uh, I was kind of like Obed-Edom in that sense. I was just happy. The only thing I didn't do was... Was lead the women's ministry that's the only thing i was a royal ranger commander like if, if you don't know what royal rangers is it's like scouts boy scouts and girl scouts and i was a commander i had to teach people to tie kids to tie knots i couldn't even tie my shoelaces and i had to teach them to tie all these fancy knots and things like that because i was just looking for opportunity to serve to make it better for everybody and and somehow i ended up here i don't know how this happened, but somehow that pathway led to the privilege of what I do today. I want us all to have, all of our volunteers to have, and all of our soon-to-be volunteers to have that kind of attitude where uh, it's not important where I serve, it's just important that I do serve. Pastor, what can I do in the house of God? What can I do in the house of of God, where can I where can I add some strength? Where can I add some value? Where can I add some favor with what I do? I just don't want to come to church. I want to be the church and I also want to build the church. My last thought today, and everyone say thank you to Jesus. Thank you. A heart to serve has a want-to-do attitude. A want to do attitude. You see, Obed-Edom just wanted to do stuff. He was overboard. He was eccentric. He was overly involved. Um, I'm not asking anybody to go on 10 rosters. I'm, I'm just asking you to serve in some capacity in the kingdom of God. I'm just asking you to have a heart to serve and to love what you do. I want to build a church on that platform. I, I think the church has always been built on that Platform serving the Lord and not only serving the Lord, serving the Lord with gladness. And we do that by having a want to do attitude, not a have to do attitude. When you have a have to do attitude, these are the kinds of questions you ask. When I have a have to do attitude, I I ask, Do I have to be here early? Do I have to come every week? Do I have to go to the leaders' meetings? Does my wife have to come? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? I know I'm on very dangerous ground right now. But you know, the truth is, no, you don't. None of us do. None of us have to do anything. We do what we do because we love who we do it for. We do what we do because we want to love what we do and believe in what we do and build the house of God and build the kingdom of God. God. So we don't have to do anything. We do it like Obed-Edom because we want to do it. That's what a heart to serve has as its character, is I have a want-to-do attitude. I have a want-to-do way that I want to serve. I don't serve on minimals. Minimals. Minimums. Minimums. You can't build on minimums. You can't build by always reducing. You can't build by looking back. You can't build by procrastination Jesus challenged it it's the pivot verse that we looked at for this entire series that to be fit for service you've got to be ready to go and that's what we have to be we have to be ready to go Psalm 100 talks about this it talks about serving the Lord with gladness come before his presence with singing we're not called to serve the Lord with sadness We're called to serve the Lord with a sense of gladness that flows from having what Obed-Edom had, which is a God moment, a God encounter, a, a sense of God. I just want to be where you are. I want to be in your dwelling place forever. I want to serve you with gladness. David talks in Psalm 86 about an undivided heart. He says this, God, teach me your ways that I can walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Would you stand to your feet? If we're gonna do it, let's do it with all of our heart, which means to live complete. Not just to step up and serve and have a heart to serve, but to live complete with a heart that's complete and do it 100%. There's something so powerful and attractive when we live and serve with an undivided heart. See, a divided heart is an incomplete heart. A divided heart is a distracted heart. A divided heart is half-hearted. A divided heart is ultimately compromised. A divided heart is a disgruntled heart. That's why this thought of serving the Lord with gladness is so important. That's why the thought of my joy is so important because it's the joy of the Lord that is my strength. The joy of the Lord that is my strength. And the value of what we do together in church and being a part of a family is that it helps us to have a complete heart. A complete heart. A heart that's established by understanding the pursuit of the presence of God. We don't have a wooden box today that's overlaid with gold that has the tablets of the law in it and Aaron's rod and some manna. We don't have God that way this moment. But we very much carry the presence of God in person. The Bible says he lives in you. You are now the carrier. The Bible says that God abides in our praises. That's why it's so important for me to start the service with dessert. Because I want the best part first but I also want to finish with dessert. And so today we're going to finish with dessert. Because our effective, efficient, productive serving and having a heart to serve flows from a heart that has life-changing God moments. And I don't know how long it's been for you, but I'd love to see you worship the Lord with all of your heart. I'd love to see you worship the Lord with all of your heart and Because it's out of that that God can just move us on in life and help us step up to be and do what He's called us to do and who He's called us to be. That's when God can bring you in a position of favor. God is able. We're going to sing that song in a moment. He's able. I don't know whether you've got some things where you need God to be able in. Obed-Edom did, he needed God in his house he needed God around his life and world and he wasn't going to abandon and neglect God, he was going to follow him I want to conclude this sermon series today by singing this song and just having a God moment together giving you the moment to lift your hands and just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Let Him fill you again with some strength. With some joy. With some passion. With some hunger. I want to invite you, if you want to, to come and stand down the front. It's it's like it's like Abed Edom going to Jerusalem. Just to come and God, I want a special moment with you. Come on, church. Why don't we sing together?
1: You are more than me.
0: God, you are able, you are well more than able. You are that God of abundantly more, Father. When we come to our point of not able, unable, unstable, that you are able to turn that table all around, God. We need to. God, we need moments where we're we're just in your presence. We need moments, God, where that's that supernatural exchange. Can take place. Our hearts need it. Our heads need it, Father. And we need it over and over and over again. And so I pray as we are launching our year of 2024 that it would start from the foundation of your presence, start from the foundation of intimacy with you, start from the foundation of God moments that change our heart and challenge our head. That's my prayer. And my prayer is, God that you would bring your favour in increased measure just like Obed-Edom enjoyed your favour in his home for three months and it wrecked him forever because he tasted and he saw that the Lord is good. I want that to be my testimony, our testimony. I want that to be my story, our story as we journey together in Jesus' name. So help us to step up And shape up and be fit for service in the kingdom of God. No looking back, no holding back. Turn your neighbor and say, Take the handbrake off. Take the handbrake off. Cheryl drove my car yesterday. Didn't know how to take the handbrake off. How did he take the handbrake off? So I can't go anywhere. That's what happens when he got the handbrake on. So I came down like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> good to go now. Lean over to your neighbor right now. Just whisper, take the handbrake off. Thank you. God bless you, church. We love you. Cafe is open right now for hospitality. Enjoy some time connecting with your friends, with family today. Make some new friends today. And God bless you. Have an amazing week. Thank you to our online community, our online family. We love you. Have an amazing week.